Hello, I'm Brett Gilliland, host of the Circuit of Success podcast, and here's what's coming up on the show. I was a high potential, you know, I was on all the courses that they, yeah. they had, and it was never what I really needed. I felt that I really needed to learn. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got Helen Appleby with me. Helen, how are you doing? Hey, Brett. Great. Thank you. Great. Hello from New York. Hello from New York. You're right in New York City, right? Yeah, with a British accent, but, uh, British but accent. I am. <laughs> I'm looking at a, let's see if I'm looking out of a five story building at one other five story building, and that's about it. And you're looking at like 50 and 100 story buildings out your window, probably, aren't you? Yes, and Columbus Circle. Yes. In Columbus Circle. <laughs> awesome. Well, Helen, uh, you're doing some amazing work. I know you um, spent a, a, a fair amount of time in the professional world at uh, uh, GlaxoSmithKline, you were a global executive there. And seven years ago, yeah. started your own uh, business where you were helping uh, a ton of women uh, with your book and then your coaching, but then also working with some men as well on the coaching side. So if you could just uh, maybe give us a little lay of the land on what uh, was made you the woman you are today. <laughs> um, lots of travel, Brett. Um, <laughs> I guess um, my, my kind of initial drive as a youngster came from the fact that my dad told me that girls can do anything that boys can do. And I believed him. So oh. I really, I really did. I was, I'm a fierce competitor and did business at college and joined uh, two of the biggest companies in the UK. So Unilever and then GlaxoSmithKline. And like you said, you know, I ended up as global business leader and I've lived and worked in six countries. Um, oh, wow. So it was, uh, it was quite the journey. And, uh, and then I guess, on that journey realized later on in life that I liked growing people more than I liked growing brands or businesses. And at mm. that stage, you know, it was a, it was a billion dollar business, but I said that out loud. I had the, you know, I was lucky enough to have my own executive coach and I said that out loud to him and he said, Oh my goodness, what are you going to do with that? And it was kind of like the genie was out the bottle and I couldn't put it back in. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, you know, really began a, a five-year journey of qualifying as a coach and being an internal coach. And then eventually, you know, leading a really big launch for GlaxoSmithKline and then just really feeling like, you know, my work there was done and that actually I was more interested in making an impact externally yeah. um, and with, leaders and uh so very senior leaders and then women leaders of all levels yeah so well, let's talk about that coaching for a second if we can because i think that's critically important to our success and you know i've had a coach mm. gosh i think i go back to 2008 probably that's when i hired mm -hmm. my first coach so it's been a mm -hmm. long time and you know a big sports guy so you, you see the best mm. in the world right whether it's tom brady or whoever it may be uh doing some coaching and i think that's huge and so yeah. um you know, that, that's, that's the stuff that I think most people don't think about. So when you, when you mm. think about coaching, obviously let's, let's go back to when you had a coach, you were at mm. a, a corporation that, that believed in that stuff. So what did you mm -hmm. do and how did you find that person and how mm. important has coaching been to your success? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a, there's kind of an outdated view of coaching that it's somehow remedial in business, but exactly as you say, you know, if you look at all the the top sports people in the world, they don't just have a coach. They have multiple coaches. I yeah. understand Roger Federer had like seven coaches wow. um, for different aspects of his game and his mindset and his fitness and his nutrition. So, you know, what I do and the reason I was given a coach was, is, you know, how do you make great people? 
people even better, right? And those are the clients that I work with. And it's really, you know, they come from many different industries. You know, I coach in private equity, financial services, luxury goods, pharma, you know, building airplanes. Um, And uh, I don't coach on what they do for a living, right? I don't coach on private equity. I coach on leadership and I help them lead better, right? Because, you know, the way you lead 10 people in one team at the beginning of your career, or, you know, the way you lead yourself at the beginning of your career, and then the way you maybe lead two or three people, and then the way you maybe lead, you know, 20 people, and then, you know, 200 or 800. It's really, really different. And, you know, all the conversations and the systems and the processes and the the way that you need to be on the inside change on that journey, right? And, you know, Alyssa Cohen, who's a friend of mine here in New York, she says leadership is an unnatural act. <laughs> you know, in some ways it's learned, like yeah. leading 800 people. We don't, we don't teach that at school, do they? No. So that's where having a coach can be really, really invaluable. The other thing I think, which is maybe difficult to understand until you've done it, is really how lonely it can be as a leader, right? I, I literally, I call it the loneliness of leadership. Right. When you are a CEO or a senior managing director or, you know, even if you're just the founder of a company and everyone works for you. Can you imagine like on a day when you don't have it figured out or on a day when you're having a really bad day? Like, who do you go to? Right. Who can you tell? Yeah. Yeah. Because you got to go out. I mean, I am the founder and CEO of a company. Right. And the day that you don't feel like you're 100 percent, but you still got to go out that door and smile and yeah, that's right. Confidence and and everything is good. And and so I do. We talk about that with some of our buddies and other people on this show. I think it's so important to have that either the coach. Mm -hmm. I believe in you got to pay for it and and you, you get what you pay for. Right. And I think that's important. You show up, you're prepared, you get your game face on, but, but even just that one friend, that buddy, right. That I can call and yeah, you know, this is going on. It's it's so, so critically important for our success. Yep. And that's what, you know, at that level, um, that's what I can be for my clients is where can they go on that bad day? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's great. And then, you know, for the women that we work with, it's how do you get, you know, how do you put women in community so that they can find that support? Because, you know, navigating as a senior woman in a business that doesn't have many women in it is also really lonely. Absolutely. Even lower in the organization. Let's talk about that for a while. So you've got your book, right? Your, uh, your book, Unwritten Rules. And, uh, and you've also got a course that you've done with that, and, and you're helping tons of women around the world with that. So, so spend some time on that. What what was so important about that for you? One, the book, but then number two, these unwritten rules. Did that come mm. from your dad, or did that come from just your experience? <laughs> sort of. I guess the um, you know, that original kind of girls can do everything that anything that boys can do. You know, I believed him, and I guess when I actually got out there into the corporate world, I realized that you know, it was harder than I'd thought it was going to be. And it was probably harder than he thought it would be for me. You know, that sense of being the only woman in the room and, you know, struggling to be seen and heard appropriately. And then, you know, I really struggled on the journey with conflict and uh, taking conflict way too personally. And, you know, there was there were moments of trying to cry silently in the bathroom. <laughs> and then, you know, that balance between my job which as you heard, you know, was really senior. And once I had kids balancing that with, you know, what felt like my other job when I got home. And I always felt like I left work too early and got home too late. 
and I only lived 10 minutes from work. Yeah. Right. And then the, you know, how do you get mentors and sponsors when, when you look up in the organization, no one looks like you. And more importantly, you don't look like them and you don't remind them of them when they were younger. Because those are the people that subconsciously we are drawn to support, you know, the people that support the same football team as us, the people that went to the same college, the people that remind us of us when we were younger. We all do it, right? Even I do it. Look yeah. at the work I'm doing, right? I'm basically helping, you know, senior leaders and women on their leadership journey. And those are the journeys that I went on. So those struggles, it was harder than I thought, right? And I did figure it out eventually you know you you heard right I did get very senior and I did learn a lot of lessons on the way but they I didn't really learn them from the courses that I went on right and I was a high potential you know I was on all the courses that they yeah. they had and it was never what I really needed I felt that I really needed to learn to navigate and succeed as a woman right and so you know at the end of all of that when I looked at you know, how do I give back and how do I make an impact kind of from this side of, you know, from this side of the, <clears throat> the, uh, the desk in the glass buildings, it was really, well, what if I wrote it down? What if I wrote down and I taught the things that I wish I'd learned when I was on my journey? Yeah. Um, and so and how really did you do that? So, so with that, I got a couple of questions from there, the things mm. first, let me back up. I think Sometimes as people that are kind of hard charging, we're trying to get to that next level, whatever that next level is, you have to have somebody that believes in you. And mm -hmm. what's the old saying that the, the student or the teacher appears when the student is ready. Mm -hmm. Right. And so your dad may have said that, and I don't want to just gloss over that. He makes this comment, but he believed in you probably before mm -hmm. you believed in yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think as leaders, we have to believe in our people before maybe they even believe in themselves, right? And Love paint it. that picture, that, that paint that picture, that vision, if you will. And mm -hmm. so I think that right there. So when you hear it like that, I mean, I believed in you is what you're, and you said, I believed him. You believed mm -hmm. it. You believed mm -hmm. it, but you had to hear mm -hmm. it first. So when you hear that, what comes to mind? I think that's absolutely, absolutely true, right? And in a sense, you know, that's what I do as a coach, right? I believe in my clients and I see what is possible for them probably before they see it themselves. Yeah. And then also, it also, I think, Brett, speaks to the power of mentors and the power of, you know, what you can learn from people who are, you know, ahead of you on the journey right. and how much they can help you share their journey, reflect back and help you see the things that you can't see. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's big. Um, so when you were along with this journey and you decided, so you left corporate America, as I'll call it, and, and you started your own deal, um, mm -hmm. how scary was that? <laughs> um, I thought, honestly, Brett, I thought I was prepared, right? I was a coach and, you know, I was kind of very clear, you know, in my rational mind that, you know, this is not who I am. It's what I do. You know, we are not our jobs. And so I'm going to be fine when I leave. And then, you know, you, I'd spent 25 years with, you know, a schedule that was full and opening my schedule on a Monday and, you know, the, you know, the world just corporate life just hits you, you know, one meeting yeah. after another, after another. And to be honest, the first few months after leaving when there was, you know, not very much in my schedule, it was tough. I was, it was lonely, right? I really needed community 
right and there mm. were moments when it was you know 11 o'clock in the morning and I was in my pajamas and in tears and yeah. you know who am I going to call you know my best friend who's you know a chief financial officer <laughs> she's going to be like you have nothing to do at 11 o'clock in the morning lucky you yeah <laughs> I'm in right. a meeting right. I gotta go <laughs> yeah. yeah right so I needed to find community community is just super important and you know some of the things that I wanted to do on this journey that I have now done, you know, create a course, write a book, have a podcast, you know, create one-on-one clients, build community, right? It's so much easier to do that stuff if you're surrounded by other people who are doing it too, Yeah. right? I never, when I was in corporate life, you know, I'd never met anyone that had written a book, right? Now I have, you know, a shelf on my bookcase, which is completely full of books that are written by friends. Yeah. Right. It's so important to get support on our journeys. And how did you do that though? Because, like you said, you went from a very busy calendar to then uh, I jokingly say, "quote unquote" unemployed. Right. When you start your own yeah. business, yeah. you can wake up unemployed, which means I don't have any clients. And yeah. so, did you start with some clients first, or did you like literally stop corporate America, then go out and try to build it? And it takes whatever a week, a month, a year to start getting clients. So I sort of did a, a mixture. I worked really hard on the launch that I was working on at GSK and really put a lot of emphasis on what I um, called closing with integrity. So I really, I had a package though, you know, I had a year's salary, so I had time. Um, And then I had a couple of clients where I'd been hired, you know, before I'd even left, Mm. right. Folks that I just met. And that was great. That was really, you know, in particular, I was, hired by the um, CEO of an ad agency. And, you know, and he said, when you leave, when you hang your shingle, I want to be your first client, which was really great because that really showed me, wow, you know, I can coach CEOs. People who actually Um, want this. Yeah, that's right. So I kind of, in some ways, was off to a really fast start, but I still had all of the, you know, the fear. And anyway, I eventually joined um, a community of coaches uh, and, uh, and still... I'm still friends with many of them today. Yeah. So learning from each other, because I think that's important yeah. too. In my, uh, you know, former life at the firm I was at, we would do study group meetings. And so, mm. you know, it's, it's a people around the country. We'd come together in different cities or whatever and just learn from each other. And so mm-hmm. whether it's your coaching community or the financial advisor community, whatever it may be, yeah. building that is, is, is so, uh, it, well, it's, it was a game changer for me. Because I'm learning from others, right, of what, what they need to do. And now I host a group called the Executive Forum. And it's people that either run or own uh, a company. And we get six or seven of us guys together once a month. And it's to come to a place where we can talk and share ideas. Because to that. your point, lonely at yep. the top, yeah, we can share stuff that they can't just go out in the hallways and share with other people. So I think those are important too. And, and so, are you, so how does that look like that in your life right now? So that means I have a group of coaches who I talk regularly to. I am coached. Actually, um, one of the people, one of the folks that (laughs) I will call, you know, back then when it was 11 o'clock in the morning and I was in my pajamas and in tears is uh, actually a previous guest of yours, Mark Silverman. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So he's, um, you know, he and I are very close. And uh, he's a fantastic coach, but also, you know, a, a really important peer in my life, um, yeah. as well as a, a couple of others. So yeah, really important peer support. Bravo. 
So talk to us about the, uh, I wrote some notes here, some topics I want to chat about, but mm. how do we have difficult congrega- uh, conversations? Because that can be tough as a leader too. Nobody likes the difficult, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people don't like going into knowing that meeting is going to be a tough conversation. So how do we do that? What are the steps to make that a little bit more comfortable maybe, but also be successful at it? Yeah. Um, so um, I think what can be really helpful is a, a level of self-awareness around what is your conflict style, right? Because we're on a spectrum. All of us are on, you know, you can map everyone on a spectrum of kind of very uncomfortable with difficult conversations to much more comfortable, right? And often that that level of comfort is something that we learned when we were very young, right? Most of us learned how to fight from when we were little, right? And how our families did fights. Right. And then we either we either mimic that or we kind of react to it. So if you grew up in a house, I grew up in a house where we didn't fight. Right. And so, you know, it was I didn't grow up in a house where there was yelling and screaming. Right. So I found it really upsetting. Some people who grew up in houses where there was yelling and screaming are completely happy to yell and scream. And some people are like, no, I will never do that. I don't like that. You know, I got PTSD from that. And they're also uncomfortable. So knowing that you have more of a comfortable with conflict or you're more of a conflict avoider is helpful, right? And then being able to say, right, you know, what is the, where, where is the person that I need to have the difficult conversation with on that spectrum? Because, you know, if you're a conflict avoider, you want to be liked more than you want to be right if you're really comfortable with conflict, then actually you want to be right more than you want to be liked. Yeah, that's true. That's very (laughs) true. So if they are, you know, if we're two conflict avoiders like me and we want to have a difficult conversation, then, you know, I would say, Hey, so if it was you and I, Hey, Brett, I, can we talk? I want to have a conversation with you and it's kind of uncomfortable, right? It's, and I want to have it with you because I really want, I'm really committed to this relationship and I want to make sure that we get the best out of it, out of us working together. And I think if we talk about this stuff, it'll make it better. Mm, That's strong. So again, transparency and vulnerability, right? Right. Letting people know I'm scared, basically. I'm scared, but I value this relationship and it's really, really important. So that does kind of set the ground level to know Mm -hmm. that you care for me. And that's Mm -hmm. the only reason you're doing this because it's true. I mean, if you think about the people that have challenged you the most in your life, are probably ones that you love the most in your life as well. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And I think if you're a conflict avoider, dealing with someone who's really comfortable with conflict, you know, looking for, like not taking it so personally, that was the journey for me, right? Often people who yell, right? They don't just yell at you, they yell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're tough with everyone. And so, you know, trying to put some distance between, you know, is this me or is it them? Right. And I often say to people that, you know, a reaction, which is more than a five out of 10 is really not about what's in front of them. It's comes from the past. Right. So in that sense, that's how they were, that's how they dealt with it as a child or they're triggered because, you know, you're tweaking some sensitive spot from their childhood. Right. And so therefore, trying to take it less personally and looking for, you know, is there a, what's the truth in this, right? How can I stay curious and stay open and look for what 
are they saying that is true? And maybe try and ignore the way that they are saying it. So almost look for the gift and try and ignore the kind of wrapping paper that it's wrapped in, right? And look for what do you agree on and what do you both want, right? How do you find a win-win solution? That it's helps It's hard me. to do. It can be, right? In the heat of battle, it can be, right? And, you know, depending if they're a peer, then, you know, taking a break or de-escalating or even talking. So I call it meta-communication, talking about the conversation instead of having the conversation, right? So stopping having the conversation and saying, look, hey, Brett, whew, you know, we're talking about scheduling for next week, but like, it feels like this is getting really, really hot, right? This is not really how I want it to go. I would love to really understand and hear from you and for us to find something that works for both of us. And, and I think to be able to listen most effectively to you, you know, I need, can we slow down and just like take some of the emotion out of this? I'm listening and I'm here. Let's, I want to do this well. Right. That's meta communication. That's talking about the conversation, not having the conversation. And often that's enough to just, you know, give people a bit of space between themselves and their reaction so that they can reground and, okay, I'm sorry, mate. You know, okay. All right. We can do this. We can do this. You know, I'm, I'm really upset because. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, but on that, I mean, I think it, it matters from a, if there's a relationship, and then there's no relationship. Th those are two different conversations to have, right? Because it's hard to come into somebody maybe that's, you know, further away from you in your everyday work life, let's say, or your professional life. But to have that conversation, I think, can be really, really tough. And and so, because for me, I I don't I don't like them, right? You got to do them in my role, but it's certainly not the 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 most fun, right? Yep. So, absolutely, um, absolutely. And you know, the other thing is doing them as kindly as you can right if yeah. if it's uncomfortable right i often say to leaders you, know, you can say really tough things but you don't have to say them in a way which is rude right you can fire someone kindly yeah right you can give someone bad news kindly right or in a one-on-one -on -one situation and then the other thing i think if you're going into it, which sort of wasn't really what you were talking about but like Another principle to remember is if they're difficult conversations, often the meeting is better had before the meeting, right? I say the meeting happens before the meeting, mm -hmm. right? So to walk into a room of people and deliver bad news for the first time or to try and have a, a difficult conversation live for the first time, you are not, you know, prepping the battlefield, are you, yeah. right? You want to have like really stakeholder manage the folks that are in there so that when they walk in, when you walk into that meeting, they know, right? They know what's coming. They know that you've listened. They know that this is the best that you've done. They know why we're here. And that can take a lot of the heat out of it. So is visualization, is that important to you or has it been important to you and what you teach with others? The way I phrase it, right, is influencing skills, right? Influencing skills are um, partly data, facts and data driven, and partly emotions and story driven, right? So, oh, hang on, you're talking about visualization as in 
visualizing how you're going to be in the meeting before you go into the yeah, meeting. That, is that yeah, what you whether mean? it's right. still that same meeting as right. a, the difficult conversation meeting, but just even the things you want to manifest in your life. Like, I mean, I, I've been a big uh, believer and practicer of that, if you will, of the kind of the things that I want to see mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. of literally visually sitting down and thinking about it, you know, with a mm -hmm. pad of paper and, you know, mm -hmm. my, my journal here is like visual, visualizing what it's going to look like. And uh, that for me has, has been one of the biggest things I've been able to do to help manifest that stuff into my life. Yeah. And the way I do that with clients is to say, right, let's time travel. Right. Yeah. And we're a year in advance now, you know, we're September next year. Right. And we're sat together and we're looking back at your year, Brett, and you've had an amazing year. Right. Tell me what happened. What's different? What did you create? How are things now? Right. And so actually move, you know, time traveling in your head and then speaking about it as if it's already happened yep. is a really powerful tool to kind of feel it in your body and decide if that's actually what you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. So talk to us about the, your book, Unwritten, uh, Unwritten Rules here. Uh, it's for women in leadership, right? Unwritten rules for women in yeah, leadership. Yeah, the unwritten rules of yeah. women's leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What are the unwritten rules? Are there, are there like a <laughs> list of them or what are the ones that we need to, especially for us men here that are listening to this, what do we need to do to yeah. help women uh, in our everyday work life? Yeah. So there's an afterword specifically written for men. So there are a lot of rules, right, for women. And, and the rules are based on the things that I struggled with the work that I do one-on-one -on -one with my clients, they're based on research, right? Yep. But to speak to your point about, you know, what, what can you do as a man if you, you know, have women in your team that you want to succeed um, or, you know, if you have daughters and you care about this stuff, right? So um, that's the afterword in the book. And I, I guess what it's important for men to ask themselves, I think is, you know, are you a series of questions I usually pose, right? The first of which is, are you a leader or do you work in an organization that you would want your daughter to work for or work in, right? Would you want your daughter to work in your team or your organization? And if not, what are you doing about it? Yeah. What are you doing about it, right? You know, how can you create an inclusive environment where women are seen and heard and can succeed, right? And then I think um, there's a couple of kind of um, things that men maybe don't see, right? Kind of unconscious bias. And that is, I think, just to bring some awareness to, are you holding women to a different standard, right? If you are talking about a woman in your team or if you're talking about a woman in the organization, I ask you to ask yourself the question, as you describe her and as you describe her behavior, would you use the same words if you were talking about a man? So if you're talking about Johanna and the way Johanna operates, would you say that if she was called John, if yeah. she was a he, right? So, and so therefore, are you holding her to a different standard, right? And then I think the other kind of things that men maybe don't realize often is that, and the research shows it really clearly, is that women are usually promoted based on their track record, right? And men the research says, are promoted based on their potential. Mm. So if you have a role, right, that needs ABCD, what will often happen in the conversation is that when they're talking about a man, they'll say he can do ABC. So obviously he's going to, you know, smash it. He's going to crush it with right. D, right? We'll, we'll give him the role. Of course he can do it. 
And what happens when you're talking about women is they'll say, oh, she hasn't done D. Right? So just mm. knowing that what the research shows is that men get promoted for their potential and women get promoted for their track record and making sure, again, you're using the same standard. Right? And then the other thing is, I, <laughs> I always think is for all of us as leaders is to be really conscious of the difference between confidence and competence because a lot of the time we promote on confidence and we undervalue competence yep. right and that gets women a lot yeah right? we're just funny i was just on a conference call earlier we're uh, we're building a coaching uh platform through what, what I do for a living, but, uh, with another person, Tom and Jen Satterley, the military connection, and then uh, buddy, Chris Hollander, we're doing from a coaching uh, college basketball coach. Um, and we talked about leadership and we talked about what you just talked about the confidence side, but the character side of that is critically important. Um, but then also the, um, Oh, the, the word you just used, um, the, 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 yeah, the competence, thank you. Mm. The competence, of that, you know, that mm. that's a sign of leadership as well. It, it's mm -hmm. huge. If you, if you don't have the competence to your point, you, you think they can do it. It doesn't matter, but you got to have the competence for it. Mm. And you see, if you come back to the unwritten rules, right? What I often find with women, right? Is that there is so much good girl conditioning that we pick up when we're young, mm -hmm. right? And, and we tend to can, play the world of work, right? Play the game of work in the same way that we played the game of school, right? Game of school is be good, keep quiet, do your work, get an A, right? Yeah. Do good work, score well, right? And then you will succeed, right? And that gets very conditioned into us, yeah. right? And then what shows, what, how it shows up in the world of work is that we do good work and assume that we will get noticed for it. And that is not true, right? Because yeah, not yeah. all of the work world of work plays like that. So I say to women, get really clear, right? You have been good girl conditioned, many of us. And know this difference, right? There is visible work and there is invisible work. And we only get judged on our visible work. And then when I say to women, make a list of the invisible work that you do right? The value you add, the work that you do, and the results that you deliver that people don't know about. And immediately, if I say that in a room of women, Brett, the eyes roll, they sigh, they say, you have no idea. They have no idea. You know, if I left, they'd have to replace me with three people, you know, and I'm like, girlfriends, you're playing the wrong game, right? Because that, that I'll do good work and I'll be noticed does not work. No. No, you're right. And it's different, I guess, on that side um, to grow up in that way, that right in that environment mm. is because mm -hmm. you, you don't want to be the always the rule breaker. But 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 those people do go noticed as well. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of breaking the rules and breaking that glass ceiling and, and busting through and going and doing it. Right. So what what have you done? I know you have a son and a daughter. Uh, we all of our, I have four kids. And, and so you have the two kids. Do you did you raise them differently? I don't think you did, right? But what, what is it you're feeding into your daughter now that uh, maybe your dad did it as well, but what are you feeding into her and your son um, that you wish you would have known when you were a kid? Well, the, the 
power of the good girl conditioning and how do you break out of that? How do you make your work visible? How do you ask for advice? How do you find mentors yeah. and how do you ask for them? You know, how do you deal with the, um, the inner critic in your head when you're the, your inner critic says, you can't do this, you're not enough. Yeah. yeah. And how do you deal with those voices in your head? I call them the itty bitty shitty committee <laughs> in <laughs> your itty, head. Bitty, shitty committee. I like it. Yes, that's that's right. great. And how do you find your inner coach to keep you going? You know, when, when you're scared that you're going to fail, right? That sense of like, if I'm scared, I'm going to fail. In that moment, right? You don't need confidence. Confidence is an output, right? You get confidence when you've done something a few times and you know you can do it right what yeah. you need when you're scared and when the voices are yelling at you is courage right and how do you feel the fear and soothe yourself and use your inner coach right there's some exercises in the book right how do you find your inner coach and how do you feel the fear and do it anyway right and redefine failure right i didn't fail i learned and that's a great book have you ever read that book feel the fear and do it anyway I haven't, no. No, it's a phenomenal book. I'm trying to think. I've got it somewhere. I can't see it. All these books. One, what, I can't remember the author's name, but it, it's one I read, probably, gosh, a decade ago. But it is it is a great book and, and would recommend it for just about anybody. Well, really anybody, because it also takes me back to the question I asked tons of guests is the fears you've put in your mind, right? So mm -hmm. Helen Appleby, I know, has had some fears in the past. I don't know that, but I would assume that. And mm -hmm. how many of those you put in your mind up here have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be. <laughs> None of them. Yeah, and, that, and I love this because it's, yes. it's just like every week, man, people, they laugh and they say, None of them. And we all laugh. But yet here yeah. we are as human beings driving around town, driving to meetings, or you're jumping, walking to meetings in New York City, whatever you're doing. But we all yeah. have that thought, right? When we're yeah. by ourselves of that yeah. fear. But yeah. yet none of these fears yeah. come true. Or, and I would, I would build on that, Brett. And it was a conversation I had with my um, book coach, which is why, you know, having someone else to talk to is so important because when you get those fears outside or you write them down, you realize how ridiculous they are. But yeah. I remember having a conversation with my editor about the book and, uh, and how scared I was. And she said, what are you scared of, Helen? And I said, of getting a, you know, like a one-star review on Amazon. And she said to me, well, you're going to, mm. right? You're going to, right? And now what? And I was like, oh. Not what I wanted to hear, coach, uh, but thank you. Not what I wanted to hear, but I guess, you know, life goes on. <laughs> She's yeah. like, and you know, and you've got loads of reviews on your book, right? So it doesn't matter, right? You're not, not everyone is going to like it, right? It's not a pass or fail game, right? You are, you're speaking to your people and they're going to find you and you're going to make an impact. Yep. So, you know, focus on them. Yeah. And the old false evidence is appearing real, isn't it? I mean, that's what fear stands for. And so, yep. but, but they are, they do feel real. Um, but it's good, I think, to always revisit this. So, so those that listen religiously every week, Think about that. Think about the, how many people have said none of them. And, and I think even if they do come true, usually how we respond is different than what we think as well. Yeah. The response is huge. So, um, yeah. well, where do our listeners find more of Helen Appleby? This has been great stuff. And uh, I want to send people <laughs> your way. What, uh, where do we find you? So at HelenAppleByCoaching.com. And then the book, The Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership is on Amazon 
Uh, it's on Audible. I recorded it. Uh, the podcast, where you find podcasts. Um, and then, yeah, Helen Hackleby on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, we will put all this in the show notes and uh, direct people your way. Definitely go check out the book. Check out her website. And uh, I, I do actually have one more question for you. I forgot yeah. I wanted to ask this. I'm, I'm a big fan of these questions. This question is, if you can put you on the spot here, remember the biggest learning you've had from one of your biggest failures. Do you have anything that comes to mind when I say, you don't have to mention what the failure is, but did you learn anything from that? Hmm. I think, I don't know that, I didn't fail a lot. Right? No, that's good. <laughs> um, but I think that's not necessarily a good thing, right? I think I was so scared of failure on my journey that I almost, it held me back from trying things because I didn't want to fail. Yeah. So I think the biggest learning for me about failure is that I need needed to do it more because you know, you don't die when you fail, you learn. Yeah. Right. And, and so especially as an entrepreneur, right. I think uh, you're constantly pushing at the edges of your comfort zone. So I think my learning on fear is, you know, and on failure is it's where the magic happens, right. It's just means you're at the edge of your comfort zone yeah. and that you've got to lean into it. And and you've got to reframe it as I'm not going to die. I'm going to learn. Right. And it is yeah. not pass or fail. It is, it's the 1.0, right. And if it doesn't work, there's a 2.0 right. and you can iterate and there's a 3.0, right. And you'll get there. And that was, that was not how I spent the first few years of my life. Yeah. Well, I think it's <laughs> That's important not what to happens think about that. School, when you talk about it? what you learn, right. Your yeah. learning is, you know, my learning back from 2002 and in 2003, my biggest learning two different polar opposite years, one super successful, one not good at all. And the not good at all came after the great year. And so my learning from that still to this day is, is something that I, I carry with me. So I think to your point, if, if you're, you're not dying, you're learning, but mm -hmm. for people to slow down and think about that bad thing and what they learn from it, I think is mm -hmm. the biggest takeaway for me. We got to learn from it. And if we mm -hmm. don't learn from it, then it really is a failure. Right. Mm -hmm. Failure is not that bad if we learn, but if we don't learn, yeah. not good. So anyway, thank you for that, that last uh, add on question there. But uh, so we will send people your way uh, to your website and then uh, Helen Appleby and uh, they can find your books and podcasts and everything there, I'm sure. So we will send them there. But Helen, thanks so much for being with us on the circuit of success. Wonderful. Thank you, Brett.